gonna rock this shit. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout. Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution. And now, here's a double shot from Miles and Muffell. And stay tuned for that interview. I've got them both right after these songs. Kenny, the strong man of the circus He never smiled when the crowd stood up to cheer He'd close his eyes Lifting a barbell up over his head Night after night Around when the Calliope started. 
from their brand new release and we got uh katherine miles and jay mafali on the line right now hey guys how are you Hi. i'm doing well i'm doing well i need to start off by correcting you but i think you said mcfally the first yeah time. i did i did i you know <laughs> i tried i really did but it is mafali right it's, yeah, you know, uh, it's, Mafali, it's yeah. difficult when we decided to use our own names as the name of the group because I set myself up for failure here. It looks like it's easy to pronounce, but it's really not. Well, you know, having a name like mine, it, you know, I understand. Ah, yes, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. I get it. Now, um, this is the first time 
that you guys have been on our show. And we always like to begin by giving our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are, not only as artists, but as people. And the best way to do that is to go look at your story, how you got to your this point in your career. So give us the story of Catherine Miles and Jay Mafali. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have been uh, we've been playing together as a duo, um, and actually in the very beginning we started out as a trio. Um, it starts with a crazy story. Many people who are musicians start when they're like teenagers or early twenties. We didn't start until our late twenties. Um, we um, we started playing with a friend of ours just for the for the heck of it, just for fun, and thought this was pretty cool. We started trying to go out and do a couple open mics, and in that same time frame, Jay and I uh, got engaged and got married. And I was thrown from a horse on our on our honeymoon and crushed my back, and that's when I said, "Hey, you know what I want to do?" From the hospital bed, and then the recovery three months recovery was. Or uh, let's do this full time. Let's become musicians, which was uh, a crazy thing. But it was that was the spending spending three months in a brace on bed rest will really make you think about what you want to do with your life. And uh, what we decided was let's make no money whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And become musicians. So uh, so we started out like that and started doing cover work. We played in bars and restaurants and um, a lot of wedding cocktail hours and ceremonies that sort of thing. We were a little trio not a, not a big band um, and we were at that point in time called the Yaya's and we spent about 10 years doing that and after about 10 years we said you know what we really we had been writing songs along the way and we decided about 10 years in that we wanted to transition into doing original music to do uh, our our own music and mostly our own music with a cover thrown in here and there instead of mostly covers with one of ours thrown in here and there uh so that was that transition and uh we continued on that way and at some point our 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 trio our trio became a duo our piano player decided he didn't want to be out there and touring and traveling as much he wanted to kind of settle have more of a settled life so uh we left the name the ayahs behind because without without paul silverman our prior our piano player didn't feel right to stay that name and then we became miles and mafali and uh and have been miles and mafali ever since okay now um Let's talk a little bit about um, this new release. Uh, when you guys were putting this together, what was the inspiration that drove this into being? We're not really prolific writers, um, so it takes us a long time to, to come up with a collection of, of songs for an album. And throughout the time that we were writing this, I think that we were really paying close attention to the socio-political atmosphere of... As it's, as it's shifted yeah. so dramatically in the last... I mean, it's it's always shifting. It, it is always shifting, but I think in the last 10 years or so, it's shifted much more dramatically. And so the songs... I don't know that we so much decide to write a specific song, Uh uh, that kind of goes into our songwriting process, but the songs sort of collect in bits and pieces of snippets of thoughts and ideas over time, and then we sit down together to co-write, and they coalesce. And as the songs came together, we started realizing they really touched on on the changes that have been that have been happening. I'll tell you, there's one thing that we do try to do on purpose. I mean, the the, the fact that they all have some sort of similar through lines in them, or some some kernel of uh, uh, of a similarity Thematic, between them thematically. One of the things that we do try to choose to do on purpose is to inject hope into a song that we're writing. So, you know, a lot of times there's a, a choice that can be made or something happens and how you respond to, to those things uh, is important. And so we always try to make sure that the song is pointing toward 
that hopeful choice or that that choice for for something good. We may have veered away from the actual question. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no, no. You're doing fine. When I was in the fifth grade, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Now, let's talk a little bit about you guys as songwriters, uh, because every good release starts with good songs. Now, you had mentioned that you're not overly prolific, but obviously you guys have been working at this for some time, and you've created your process. You've created what it is that you do that that allows you to tap into that muse. What is your process when you sit down to begin to write? Okay, so I guess I'm going to start just by talking about the over, the prolific or not prolific. I think that we are both always writing. Uh, I it's just that we don't always wind up with fully with with finalized songs. So we're both always writing, which does make us prolific in terms of our artistic output. But they don't always coalesce into songs. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Uh, I tend to be mainly responsible for the lyrics and the melody, and Jay tends to be mainly responsible for the musical elements, um, chord progression, and 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 other aspects of that. But um, but we also so we we do work on our own. Uh, for me, it's I have. Uh, I can't even count the journals. I handwrite, so it's a snippet of an idea, or a thought, or a full phrase. It's whatever came about, or something I heard somebody say, and I write it down. Uh, I also use my my voice mess, um, voice uh, memo on my my phone for both just verbal ideas that I speak out, but I also have melodic inspiration that comes in our record. So it's lo- a collage work. I collect lots of different ideas and thoughts and bits and scraps and pieces um, over time. And Jay is... I'll also fill up my phone uh, with recordings of just musical phrases, um, whether I'm out somewhere and something comes to me and I want to hum it or tap it out or whatever, um, different rhythms or grooves, and also actually just picking up the guitar and noodling around, and if I find something, then I'll record that, and then you know, when we decide to sit down together, there'll be times where I'll start playing one of those things, uh, and then Catherine will say, "Wait a minute, I've got, I've got something. I think that let me try this with that." So then we sit down together uh, with our assorted piles of ideas and thoughts, and um, and start putting the song together. So it's not it's not a which came first, music or the lyrics or melody. They they assemble all all together. So one uh, all aspects influence all other aspects of the writing um and, and sometimes those songs will, will kind of remain unfinished for a year for a long time <laughs> yeah or and we'll, we'll circle back have to it them. and it just doesn't quite feel right and it could sit there it could sit there for a while if if we can't figure out what's not quite right there's a couple songs on this album that started out in one version and a few you know several years later were rewritten Either the lyric was rewritten on one, I think the melody was changed drastically on another until we went, until we really reached a point where we thought, yeah, that's right, that's done, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, so I think we are prolific in terms of the bits of information that we use to make a song, but we're not prolific necessarily in putting a song together in its final version that takes us a little longer i know there's some writers out there who uh you know write a million songs and then pick which ones they like and we don't we've never found that that works for us we have we do it so the opposite way we have a a lot of information and it takes us and then we thin it out to find the songs that we that we want to include or that fit together because i think both of us come from an album sort of mindset uh, it, that's harder in today's world but um, we think of songs as groupings right right now um, 
You had mentioned that you utilize your cell phone to capture those momentary ideas, and technology has really brought a lot of great tools to the songwriter. What are some of the other tools that you have found to be indispensable to you guys as writers? Well, we have the benefit of having a studio in our home. Um, A bunch of years ago, I got very interested in recording and mixing and have uh, followed that path. Um, working on stuff for ourselves and also with other working with other artists. So we're both really comfortable uh, in a recording studio. And as such, we can lay some stuff down and live with it for a while and listen back to it and realize, hey, that works great. That's exactly what I expected. Or, hmm, now that I hear it back sort of in this almost full form, I wonder if we can change this or that or the other thing. Uh, Catherine does a lot of singing for other artists that we that we do here and, and send to them. Vocal work, uh, um, harmony, uh, and uh, background vocal work for other people. And sometimes um, just going through that repetition and that those exercises just gets us so much more comfortable in our, our sort of, the way that we work together in the studio is very easy. Are you asking about what other t- technology do we use in the writing process? Or yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the home recording studio is, is definitely yeah. one. And, of course, the cell phone. If there's any others, what else do you use? Any software or anything like that? Oh, you mean like a writing software? Like they yeah, have like Master they- Writer or maybe Online Thesaurus. Or, you know, what's some of the things you like to work with? So I, I have... I have a thesaurus, an actual physical <laughs> thesaurus, um, and nine times out of ten, that's what I go to. Sometimes I'll use an online. Sometimes I'll go look for if I if I'm not home, and <laughs> I want to think about something. Wherever, then I might search for an on on online like synonym, you know, like. But but uh, but nine but nine times out of ten, I use a I use a hard I use a hard copy. I I I heard it. Uh, where did I read? I read something somewhere about um, how physics, for all our technology and the wonders of it, and I don't, I don't discount that or what it has allowed people to achieve. Um, I'm, I'm trying to recall where I read that there was something, and I was reading about how physically putting pen to paper, um, physically reading in a in a in a physical format rather than on a screen opens up different aspects of the brain for a creative process differently than, a, than screen work does. So while we'll use uh, technology to some extent, absolutely, at the same time, we don't, we don't use it for the writing process. We use it much more extensively, I think, in the recording process. Well, Richard, I'll tell you that from, from my perspective, and I'm a guitar player, for your listeners who don't know what what the heck it is that I do in this organization, um, one of the things that I've what taken organization? To, <laughs> that I've taken to doing <laughs> to kind of unlock my brain when it comes to writing guitar parts is um, I now travel with a guitar that's in a, a, an alternate tuning. Um, so I've just Catherine and I learned how to play a song. Um, by Patty, Patty, Griffin. Patty Griffin. It was Patty Griffin's song called Rain. It's a beautiful song. Um, but it's in a very unusual tuning for a guitar. Um, and so I, long story short, I, I learned how to work in that tuning and then we've been writing songs in that tuning as well. So that kind of opens up uh, my guitar playing to some extent. Okay. Uh, yeah, I always found that, you know, a lot of songwriters, they... They say, you know, when I get in a rut, I'll pick up an instrument that I don't normally play, and that will open up some sonic cap- capabilities that, you know, I would never have explored. And, you know, one of the big buzzwords today is artificial intelligence. Um, a, you know, and, you know, I know a lot of people, and you know, I hear that, and all of a sudden they start to cringe. But the fact is, is that it's here, and it's going to get more prevalent in our lives uh, as we move forward into the future. And there are now tools uh, for the songwriter that helps write lyrics, melodies, bass lines, orchestration, chord progressions. Um, what do you think artificial intelligence is going to take us in the future? 
you want to touch that first or should I, I? Hold on. I just want you to know that that is our dog Dog's having a drink of water. <laughs> That's okay. We're very, very, very friendly to dogs here. So, you know what? Um, I, <laughs> Should we let him finish? <laughs> Walter, you done taking a drink? Yes. I think he's good. Go ahead. Um, that's a tough one. We, I, that's a tough one for me in terms of creativity because, and and pardon my, pardon my lack of knowledge, but I will say. My understanding is that artificial intelligence, and if I'm if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But artificial intelligence is only as smart as all of the information it draws from. And so, if artificial intelligence is drawing its inspiration from other things that humans have put out there for it to learn from, then could you not argue that it's just an echo? Of an artistically inspired something that that a that a that a human came up with, and if that's the case, is it just diminishing echoes the further down the line you go with it? I think that artificial part of art to me is the interaction, and this is all different forms, right? Plays, uh, paintings, all of that is the interaction of a person's personal experiences in the world mixed with their experience or their their um, what they see and hear of the larger world around them like through news and and reading other things and right so their personal interactions with people their the larger views that they have on the social and political and artistic times they live in right mixed with their own their own emotions so their thought processes on those things those their logical thought processes and their emotions which mix together and help them then take those things and re and reinterpret them and put them out in the world in an artistic way whatever that art is sculpture song poetry um, prose you know whatever so then if artificial intelligence is only drawing from that, where is that inspiration? Is it not just a diminishing, um, uh, is it, it's an echo. And I, so I don't know, I can't imagine beyond that. I could see where tools are, you know, I'm not a, an anti-tech person but at, by by. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, as songwriters, we're always looking for inspiration. Um, And of course, all of our um, creativity is built upon all of the music that we have consumed up to that point where we are writing. Um, So there is just a natural um, echo of what we do in in our own minds. You know what I mean? Um, Artificial intelligence, I look at as more of an idea generator. Not so much a replacement for the experiences that we want to put out there, but when you're staring at a blank page, if you could come up with something that sparks an idea you know what i mean we may be sitting in a restaurant and we may overhear someone say something and say hey that would make a great song you know and then we take it from that point um you know i'm old enough to remember when the drum machine and midi first came on the scene and Hmm. the music industry was in an uproar when these technologies first became uh, prevalent in the music industry, you know, especially during the disco era where MIDI was given to the hands of producers and not musicians, and they were creating music without the ability to play, you know, perform more or less. Uh, And, you know, the Broadway musicians were all in an uproar over MIDI because you can have a computer 
play their parts and they don't need musicians. Um, drum machines, you're going to take the human feel out of music. So all of these technologies are now part of our toolkit that we have um, when we go into a studio. Uh, so I see AI as really developing in the future as more of a um, tool set than a replacement set. You know what I mean? I've, I've found that technologies evolve and change, and I think that um, I'm, I'm about to agree with you, Richard. There's, these are tools, and you know there was a time when uh, reverb was something new to add to, to a mm-hmm. recording, and kind of maybe got pushed to certain limits and people were like, well, it was fashionable for a while and we're kind of over the, the heavy reverb thing. And then, you know, for example, we're living through now the, the overuse of pitch correction on, on audio recordings of, of vocals for a lot of pop music that people either like that sound or they don't like that sound. Overuse exactly. People love it. Some people, I was just saying, some people like that sound and some people don't. Right. Um, clearly a lot of people do. But there's, there's the, you know, as far as the people pounding their fists on tables, um, things come in and out of fashion, and, and all of these things are just tools. And there's definitely ways to use tools, and there are ways that, that people are not going to like how they get used. Um, so, I, you know, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, I'm certain there will be an audience for AI-generated songs that were written and performed by algorithms, and that somebody will like that. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens to the rest of us when that becomes the norm. Yeah, yeah. Now you know one of the things I think a lot of um, young songwriters struggle with is um, that moment where you have to stop, the moment where you put the pen down. Um, and every songwriter has their quantifier, their thing they do to determine when a song is ready to move to its next phase of life going into production, where you give it to the producer, you give it to the musicians, they put their 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 input into it. What do you guys do to determine that moment when a song is ready to move to its next phase of life? One of the things that has been handy for us is playing the songs live. You know, there's a couple of different approaches. You can sort of write in the studio or write to the studio. Um, but what we'll tend to do is write a song and then we'll go play it out live in front of people and start to see how people respond to it, how it feels for us. It has um, to reach a point before we do that, though. It reaches a certain point where we just know we can feel by this point in our experience we sort of have a, a general basic idea it's not like you just throw it together and then hope oh no that. no no like for instance we, we have a song that we've got that we we kind of think is done but there's something, there's not, something not quite, quite right, right about, about it. it um which we've been playing out live sort a of recently bit. and then we, now we've set it aside because we've realized by playing it in front of audiences it's really like not done. It's, it's almost there but it is not done yet no. and that that way we've decided you know we're not recording that one yet and we're letting we it felt, rest for a little bit until yeah. we're ready to go back to it and say, and figure out we were too close to it now to figure out what's, what's wrong with it we're not quite sure but we know that we need to let it sit untouched for a little while to just uh, fer- ferment <laughs> for a little bit before before we'll go back to it and, and have a clearer idea of what's wrong with it and then be working on it again and when it comes to the songs on this album for, for putting this uh, this record together we, we knew going into it, we wanted to have sort of finite arrangements. Oh, okay. We wanted to have uh, our friend uh, Eric Puente play drums on it. Did we know we wanted to have Jason Raffleck play upright bass on it. And we know we wanted Brad Yoder to play uh, soprano saxophone and Bakkenspiel. And we knew that we wanted Paul Silverman from the IOS to play uh, some keyboard parts. And we yeah. just kept it to that. In fact, even the harmonies are very sparse on this record. There's songs with harmonies on it, but it's not these huge orchestrated harmonies. And in fact, for this, we did something different than we have before previously on recordings. We have recorded our our parts first, really, solidly, like had final performances and then brought in other musicians to add layers. This album, different than the rest, we did very rough demo work and we gave it to 
Eric, the drummer first. So this album, and I think if you listen to it with that in mind, you go, oh yeah, I can hear that. Starts with the percussion. Started with Eric laying down his drums and percussive tracks first. And then it went to the bass player, also also percussion um, um, went went to the went to went to the went to the bass went to Jason Mathlock for you're him the rhythm section, rhythm section. The rhythm. that was the word I was looking for I'm looking at Jay and you can't see me look at him but I'm looking at him like what's the word I'm looking for went to Jason next to complete the rhythm section and then went to, uh, to Brad, Brad and, Paul. and Paul to put their parts in and we did our final takes Jay and I at the end of all of that so the other artists um, really put everything in there before before we did. Okay, um, this is different. So when you guys go into that environment in your studio, you like to kind of uh, build it track by track and allow, you know, kind of do it pandemic style where you were moving the stems around the internet. Is that kind of how you captured your sound? It's funny because that you, when you call it the pandemic style, but a lot of us have been doing that since before it was cool. Um, <laughs> using technology to be able to do it, yeah. to bring in an artist, to play with people that that don't live close to you. That is there is a beautiful thing of technology and what what can be done with it. To be able to work with somebody that lives far enough away from you that you wouldn't necessarily be able to work with them. They don't have to try to come and make it to you and get all their takes in one shot. Um, I think Jason, Jason's uh, wife was pregnant with her first child and he wasn't going anywhere. So out in Pittsburgh, he was able to record for us over an extended period of time without leaving home. <laughs> okay. Well, that definitely makes it easier on the, on the musicians. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about um, getting it out there. Um, once you get it recorded and you got to get it to radio, you got to get it to press, you got to create the buzz, and you're working with Adam Dawson from Broken Jukebox Media. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. We, uh, we met Adam at the Southeast Regional Folk Alliance Conference earlier this year. Uh, we had the record done and in hand. We knew we wanted to get it out for both uh, radio and also some promotion work with folks like yourself. We've heard his who, name before. Who, who yeah. might want to write about it or, or podcast about it or broadcast about it. Um, so we knew we were looking for those two people. Uh, and then when we when we met Adam, we learned that he does both of those things, which we thought was a very smart, excellent idea. Um, so <laughs> we had a lot of good conversations. Yeah, we, we met him during the conference. We didn't just Im immediately thought that we would work with him, but we met him. We got to spend a little time chatting with him and getting to know him. Um, and I think you can hire somebody to do a job for you in whatever you do. But if you don't kind of start to know them and decide if you like them and you get along and you can see eye to eye and be able to have a good conversation where you feel like they're coming from a, a perspective that you understand and can get behind. Um, having Meeting him at a conference meant we had a, a couple of days, a few days, to be able to kind of get to know him a little and really uh, recognize that we thought he was a pretty, a pretty uh, cool guy like a guy that we liked as a person, but also that we understood he really knew his stuff and that we felt confident was going to be able to, that we were going to be able to work with him on both a professional and personal level and feel comfortable and confident in, in, the, in the work that he would be able to do for us. And that was priceless to have to be able to find that out. Sure. Okay. Now, um, we all know that uh, the music industry is changing dramatically, uh, and it's changed exponentially over the last 20 years with the digital revolution. And the consumer today has really embraced streaming as a way to consume music. Um, and it's a double-edged sword for the independent artist. Uh, on the negative side, um, it's... 
the revenue from streaming is not there. Um, in fact, I would go as far as to say that it's not a sustainable business model where we cannot continue to ask artists to create content and not even give them the opportunity to break even. If you had a hit, it would be hard-pressed for you to break even on your recording project, especially if you had to pay for a studio and studio musicians and so on and so forth um, by the monies that you get from streaming. On the other hand, um, you get access to a worldwide market that would not normally have heard your music. So we have that that dichotomy there. The biggest mm-hmm. problem I see is that recorded music has lost its status as a product it's now a service it's a much different mindset even the consumer today even listens to music differently it's not an active um kind of activity it's more of a soundtrack they create something that fits a mood or fits an activity um how has this shift in perception by the consumers affected you guys so far as independent artists? There's there's a couple of thoughts that I have on it. One is that, um, yes, it's disappointing to be selling fewer and fewer CDs as an artist. That's disappointing because you have a product that you can sell at a show um, and fewer people you know, require CDs, and that's you know, or have just, a way to play it. That's just the way it goes, and and we realize that. Look, it's here. You know, you can't you can't change it. Um, but at the same time, the idea, in some ways, I feel like this isn't really new, right? When when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, forty fives and singles were kind of a, a big deal. The way the way you would buy uh, records a lot, and their singles are kind of coming back now. But it's a streaming oh, environment. That yeah. way. The other thing is. Even for major label artists, there there's been plenty of stories that you hear about. Um, you know, a big, large, successful so-called band will go out um, on tour, but they still owe their record company so much money that they're not actually bringing in any real income from their tour except from T-shirt sales. Uh, so, in a lot of ways, we're back there again, right? So that to me, that's not really a new thing where. Artists are making their money off of something other than the the actual recorded music that that uh, listeners are consuming. Um, so, while the, what, on, on the one hand, there's some disappointment there, but on the other hand, so are you saying the benefit of not having really a, a, a wider world, more worldwide audience outweighs it? That's the trade-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are people who are going to listen to us talk to you on this podcast, Richard, that that would never have found us. Um, pre-internet you know um it's just, it's just it's incredible so you have to take the good with the bad you take the bad with the good probably rather well you know i've looked at the digital revolution if you kind of follow its timeline um you know we started off with you know napster and limewire where you know everybody was sharing music um you know the the record companies were in an uproar the artists were in an uproar uh people were stealing music left and right riaa was suing grandmothers you know it was a crazy crazy time and then along comes apple with the itunes and ipads or ipods rather and you know all of a sudden everyone says oh my god they're going to own the industry forever apple is here they're going to save us and you know the 99 cent download came in and that was the big thing but now where are those ipods they're sitting in the junk drawer in the kitchen just collecting dust and along comes spotify uh you don't have to store anything you have access to pretty much everything that's been recorded in the last hundred years for you know 10 15 dollars a month so it's it's a no-brainer for the um the consumer but the fact is no matter how big a company may be on that timeline it can be replaced 
Um, Spotify replaced iTunes. iTunes replaced Napster. It's it's all relevant as we go along. So we we have to look at the future and say, okay, where is it going now? What's the next step? And there is a few technologies that I've been watching really closely. One of them is sites like Audius.co um, and Emanate and uh, Audio Lux. These are streaming services that have been developed utilizing the blockchain, that technology that secures cryptocurrency. And, you know, we all know cryptocurrency had that big bubble burst, but the software, the the blockchain software is still an innovative technology that could revolutionize the music industry. And one of the big issues with it, or the big uh, selling points, is the fact that it is decentralized. In other words, no person or corporation can own the streaming service. Not like Spotify, where the guy who owns Spotify is making more in a week than the top 20 artists on his platform. That's not possible with these new services because they're owned by the fans and by the artists themselves that are putting up the content. And because of that, they claim they can pay up to 80% of the incoming revenue directly back to the artist. What do you think of that as a potential for that next step of streaming as we go into the future? So I have, I have, I was going to put a pin on what Jay said before, which is it's not so much that the streaming services exist, that the regulation doesn't exist in order to protect the content producers um, in terms of that. And what you just started speaking about are platforms in which that's supposedly the case but when you say they say that 80 percent can go back to the content producers who's the they well the developers of these platforms and the supporters of these platforms in other words audius um is supported by katie perry and jason dorillo and uh Mm -hmm. pusha t nas uh dead mouse a lot of edm artists because they're looking at this as a way for them to move away from the traditional record company kind of um, mentality. And we all know that a, a record contract is really nothing more than a bad loan with bad terms. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly it. So, you know, and, you know, we've been, artists have been screwed by record companies, you know, forever. So I think it's time that we moved away from that, that business model. And... Mm. This blockchain really is giving us an opportunity to do that. There's this other site called yeah, Royal.io. Th- okay. That's going to tie back. I'm just going to, before you sure, go further, ahead. I'm going to say what saying ties back into uh, um, talking about how technology and the people's ability to, to, to access it and use it at home makes that even more possible because they don't have to go to they don't have to go to a um, studio necessarily to get a recording done that's done and done well. Um, with our with our studio here, Jay has had a number of artists that have done home recording uh, on on things that they on in just themselves, and then will send what they've done to him to be able to mix and to bring some of that. Um, magic back in or to be able to so that reduces the recording cost so what you're talking about it all it all um, layers on top of it the the more people are able to create it without um, going to a big studio the burden, of that the burden of that expense and then to be able to then market and get that music out there themselves all of those things layer on so that is one way in which technology is actually opening up the ability for people you don't have to come up with a big chunk of money to go and record your songs you can right. do that in a more economical way and then move on to the what you were starting to say i'm sorry i just stepped back for one second to touch that and now oh, not a problem well what i was saying as far as the um 
uh, uh, this new Royal.io. Now, right. this I think you might find interesting, especially as songwriters. What they allow you to do uh, is to create these non-fungible tokens, these NFTs, to uh, and they each one would represent a small portion of your streaming royalties or your publishing royalties. Now, we all know if you did a record contract, the first thing the record company wants is your publishing and they want your streaming. You know, and you know that's that's kind of, you know, where they want to be just to even start the negotiation. So, why give it to a record company when you could sell it to your fan base? Uh, one of the rap artists did this, Nas. He made enough of these NFTs to cover one half of the streaming royalties on two songs on his last release. Sold it to his fan base. Was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. In addition, had over 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure his music is streamed. Uh, in addition, these things are bought and sold on an open market. So if I buy one, I make a little money and someone offers me a little more than I paid for it, I'll sell it to him. Now, Nas will get a commission off of that resale in perpetuity forever. Um this could take the place of a record company because you can then finance your next project by selling stock in the songs you were in in your previous project. What do you think of that as a potential to take over for that traditional record company role? So I have two responses to that. The first response is, remember when I used to get to just play my guitar? <laughs> and I think about all of these things. <laughs> um, but with that aside, because that's what we're talking about. So, and it's interesting, uh, Catherine and I have, have talked a lot lately about all of these other hats that we have to wear. Um, you know, that's why we bring in somebody like Adam Dawson to do these jobs, because there's only so much of this that we can handle and still be creative and make music. Um, but that being said, I'm curious, at the time that we're recording this podcast with you, there is a writers and actors strike in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and they're making a lot of the same arguments that musicians have made, where um, you know the the revenue from these streaming services is not reflective of the work because the technology has changed and contracts are based on the old model and things like that. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this: I'll say that I'm curious to see what the outcome of that is because it so closely correlates to what's happening with music that I wonder if. Um, some new some new success stories will come from from them resolving the writers and, and actors strikes. I, I don't know that you really answered his question. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're doing well. You're doing okay. I'm not sure that I understand how that how that works <laughs> well you know it took me a long time to to wrap my head around the the whole nft world um right. you know i did a lot i actually took several courses on it just to try and understand this technology and how it can be applied to um to the world of music, to the music industry. And when right. I started looking into how it's how companies are utilizing this, it makes sense. It makes sense that we've been living in a world where um, unlike, you know, the movie industry, you know, where people have traditionally gotten paid well for their work and now they're 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 seeing that diminish we've always been screwed by the you know the the corporations that were uh, selling our wares more or less uh, and here is our opportunity to get a seat at the table of this new technology because it's accessible to us right now you know right. what i mean right so we can we can take the bull by the horn and say, okay, this is how we're going to do our business because it's economically feasible for us. And once, you know, 
the majority of the artists start moving in this direction, I think the uh, companies like Spotify and Pandora, Apple Music, you know, all of these are going to either going to have to uh, adjust accordingly or they're going to fall by the wayside just like Napster did, just like iTunes did. Um, You know, it's just a matter of time that, you know, we're going to have to, but we have to take a a proactive view of it, you know? Well, I'm convinced, and I'm going to go ahead and sign up for this timeshare that you're offering. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. It's a very compelling argument. It's something we're definitely going to look into. And, you know, it's we worth it. Talking. Yeah, it's definitely worth looking into, without without a doubt. And it costs you nothing to create these um, NFTs or to get on services like Audius. You know, it's free. So, I mean, right. it's a no-brainer at this point. I mean, I even put all my podcasts up on Audius. Um, these things... These things really, they sell themselves, is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. The hell with the neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. in my dreams You were a mystery that I'll never solve I don't know how to live with that I close my eyes I am far out on the water All these questions that I have carried I cast over the waves I'll let them go to slowly ready All I know is I was unprepared Were you an answered prayer or is that desperation I don't know How do I live with that I close my eyes I am far out on the water All these questions that I have carried I can't over the waves I let them go to slowly
far out on the water All these questions that I have carried I let them go To slowly fade beneath the surface Time you are
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make 